Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 22 of The Witness Prophecies, a Sleepy Hollow podcast on Golden Spiral Media. I'm Steve, and if you eliminate all other possibilities, whatever remains must be the truth. And I'm Barb, and since this was the Halloween episode, I guess this makes this our Sleepy Halloween podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that was bad. It was a bad joke. but I had to get it in. Anyway, tonight we will be discussing the adventures of our witnesses in the Sleepy Hollow Bones crossover episodes. They were exciting, didn't you think, Steve? Oh, yes. I thought they turned out a whole lot better than what I expected when they were first announced, that's for sure. I did too, and I think a lot of folks felt that way. Anyway, the first segment was the Bones segment, and that was titled The Resurrection in the Remains. And that was written by Mary Trahan and directed by Chad Lowe. The Sleepy Hollow episode was the fifth of season three, and it was entitled Dead Men Tell No Tales. And that was written by Sam Clayson and Nelson Greaves, and it was directed by Russell Fine. And I thought that... Dead Men Tell No Tales was a very interesting title for this episode, because we've heard that before. And why is that? Because if you're a Pirates of the Caribbean fan with Captain Jack Sparrow, that's going to be the title of the next episode, which is going to be released in 2017, probably in about a year and a half. I'm sure it's going to be one of the summer blockbusters. Interesting. I think we'll hear another reference to uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, later on in the episode. I think that there were a lot of parallels to some of the Pirates of the Caribbean stories, if you're a fan of those, which is interesting because Disney owns Pirates of the Caribbean and Fox has Sleepy Hollow, so (laughs) ne'er the twain shall meet. Hmm. No. No. All right. What do we have for a recap? Okay, well, we're actually going to recap both stories, so we'll try and keep it a little brief here, but here we go. In the first story, in the Bones episode, two college kids discover a young woman's decomposing body in an old church, along with a coffin holding a headless skeleton, and he's apparently an old British redcoat. The case is immediately investigated by a leading expert in forensic anthropology, Dr. Temperance Brennan, a.k.a. Bones, and her FBI husband, Celie Booth. Abby and Crane arrive in Washington, D.C. at the Jeffersonian, which is the location of Bones' forensic science lab, and insist that they be allowed to take the headless body to help them solve similar crimes in Sleepy Hollow, and they aren't leaving without those bones. Historical facial recognition used by Bones' team shows that the skeleton isn't Abraham, but is General William Howe, who was our whispering wraith. A book in the possession of the dead woman, the treatise on the subject of shadows, is known to Crane, who explains its significance to the Bones team. Our witnesses helped Bones and Booth solve the woman's death, and they were able to convince Bones to release the body of the headless skeleton to them. They did a pretty good job on that, didn't they? Yes, they did. And I thought that that worked really well because here, you know, we had the headless skeleton. We thought it might have been Abraham. They thought it was Abraham. Mm -hmm. And then that headless skeleton then brought us into the next episode, the Sleepy Hollow Epi. And at the beginning of that, Pandora kidnaps the bones of General Howe, and she brings him back to life. Crane and Abby discover that the skeleton has been stolen, and they suspect Pandora. Searching the mausoleum, they discover that Howe has raised his former army from the dead, and that sunlight causes them to disappear. 
Crane regrets not killing General Howe when he was ordered to do so 250 years earlier. Meanwhile, Joe and Jenny discover that August Corbin knew Atticus Nevins, and they attempt to find him. Crane and Abby enlist the insistence of Bones and Booth in determining whether Howe was buried twice. They discover that the Capitol building may hold the key, and they go to investigate. Booth and Crane are sealed in the tomb as fire rains down from the ceiling. Booth shoots the lock, the door opens, the fire retracts, and our team is safe. Crane realizes that the tomb was a trap for the Draeger, and that Greek fire, also known as napalm, is the only way to kill them. It's Halloween, and General Hal and his men are ready to kill Sleepy Hollow citizens. Crane, Abby, Joe, and Jenny have weapons loaded with Greek fire. They plan to get the Draegers in the tunnels and kill them. General Hal steps into the fire rather than giving Crane the satisfaction of killing him. Pandora watches in her reflecting pond and says only one more bud needs to blossom. That love is what the victors seek, and we see a red rose and not a black one. Abby pushes Crane to call Zoe and ask her to dinner. Danny asks to see Abby and then asks what is going on and shows her a picture of her sister and Joe meeting with Sophie Foster, the top operative working for his target, Atticus Nevins. So much going on in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, we really did get a lot because for a crossover episode where you need to mesh the two different sets of main characters, we got a lot of story. Yes, we did. And we were able to keep it without infringing on each of the series' fundamentals for what they stand for. The Bones parts kept it very science-oriented, and once we got back to Sleepy Hollow, it was back to the supernatural. Yes, I've seen quite a few Bones episodes. I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a number of them. And I would agree that they really kept those two main characters in character. And And it worked surprisingly well. Yeah, and stayed very true to their shows. That's quite an accomplishment. Bravo to the writers. Yeah, they did a great job on this crossover episode. So what kind of news do we have, Steve? Well, we've got some rating news. Last week's episode four, The Sisters Mills, the Live Plus Three date ratings uh, showed an increase of 62%. So that was another good sign. And this week's episode, the first hour Live Plus Same Day had 6.38 million viewers, which was up 5.14%, with a 1.3 rating and a 5 share in adults 18 to 49, which was up 9.24%, which happens to be its biggest audience in over a year and tying a season high in the demo. Bones got a nice bump, and then in the second hour, the Live Plus same day was 4.56 million viewers, which was a 57.76% increase, with a 1.1 rating, and a three share in adults 18 to 49, which happened to be a 29.41% increase over last week. And this happened to net our largest audience in almost a year and represented the season high in adults 18 to 49. So that is nice because what that, what this tells me is that you have a number of people that will watch either Bones or Sleepy Hollow, but not both. And there was a lot of carryover. Granted, some of the folks dropped off between the first and the second hour. But I think that opened up a whole new audience for both Sleepy Hollow and for Bones. And I would love to see something that the numbers continue as well as they were doing. Yes, I agree. This was the the smallest drop-off between Bones and Sleepy Hollow that we've seen all season so far between the Bones viewers and the Sleepy Hollow viewers. So it'll be real interesting to see if the Sleepy Hollow numbers stay as strong as they did this week. So what kind of rating did you give the episodes? Well, I gave the combined episodes 925 Handwriting paradoxes. Oh, that's nice. He had to think quickly to uh, get his way out of that. And I gave it 8.5 Walking Dead Armies. Very nice. I definitely enjoyed the episodes. And I think that they both could have stood on their own. But it was really that body of General Howe that linked the two episodes together and kind of carried the whole thing through, I think. Yep, that definitely was the link between the two. So speaking about our evil General Howe, Why don't you tell us a little bit about our uh, Team 2 Tribulation and what they are up to this week? 
Well, we didn't get to see it, but apparently Pandora was using the pond cam because she shows up at the transport of Hal's bones. And we see her uh, go snake eyes on us and tells the driver nothing personal as she's choking him psychically. But then she lets him go and just says, now run. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't figure that out. Yeah, it threw me for a minute, too. And it's like, okay, why didn't you just kill the guy? Most evil beings just take care of that and don't have to worry about it but no she wants fear Mm -hmm. and so this guy is feeding the root of all evil yes i thought that was probably a fear bonus for her yes and she opens the van up and she brings Hal to life and she basically sicks him on crane immediately i thought about that and it was like she had to use The secret that he had, which was he almost turned with Howell, because of that secret, she knew that she could use that against Crane by sicking Howell on him. Yeah, the writers did a fantastic job of taking that from one of our earliest episodes and just weaving it in here, because that's the only way that I think she could have known about it. Yes. That was marvelous. Yes, that worked really well. Another Pirates reference, the risen General Howell sure seemed to look similar to a certain Captain Jack Sparrow. He did, didn't he? He had the dreads. They weren't as big. His face was a little pasty, and he wasn't as good-looking as Captain Jack. But he certainly had some of the characteristics, not necessarily the mannerisms, but he looked like he could be a Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes, and as she's raising him, she tells him that the king requires his service. Now, was she mentioning the king of England at the time, or could it be her king? And that is... Is the question. question. Because she has referred to a higher power previously. And so I was thinking that it could be her king or whomever she's serving. It sure could be. But uh, you're you know, right. Originally, I thought it was referring to the British king at the time. but He's dead. You, yeah. But no, that was a very good double entendre. I liked that. A very good catch on your part. Now, of course, General Howe became a Darog or a dead man walking through the power of the carved stone. Now, this possesses superhuman strength and can increase their size at will, and they carry the unmistakable stench of decay. The appearance, that of a dead body, swollen, blackened, and generally hideous to look at. They are undead figures from Norse and Icelandic mythology that appear to retain some semblance of intelligence. They exist either to guard their treasure, wreak havoc on living beings, or torment those who had wronged them in life. They disappear at first light, and Hal and his army look just like the undead army in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, they did. And I'm wondering when these creatures were supposed to exist to either guard their treasure, wreak havoc on living beings, or torment those who had quote-unquote wronged them in life. Obviously, he was going after Crane. And so he believed that he had been, what, wronged by Crane, this evil guy? Oh, yeah. General Hal definitely had issues with Crane because Crane served under him. When he was serving under him, actually respected him quite a bit. So having Crane turn on him is definitely something that caused Hal to hold a grudge against Crane. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, you can see how he might feel that way. But apparently, if he was also looting through homes and looking for artifacts himself, eh, no one is all good or all evil. Yeah, well, I believe he had targeted that specifically for that stone so he could turn his troops into the Darog and him himself. That was that was their big plan to eliminate this uprising, shall we say, from the colonialists. Well, that's true because there were the carvings on his coffin as well. And he also had called up the Whispering Wraith. So he was dabbling in some type of black art. Yes, he sure was. Okay, he's evil. He even told Crane that he's not going to stop until every colonist's dog is underground. So he was definitely a loose cannon. Pun intended. Yes. 
Kaboom. So we uh, see that Pandora wants to raise some more fear again on Halloween when the entire city is out on the streets. And you see her come up to this little child. She took her candy. I'm like, really? Poor kid. Exactly. With her snake scales on her face. Demon eyes. Yeah. And that little kid was in an interesting costume. Yes, she was. Uh, She was dressed just like Cookie from Empire, which is (laughs) another Fox show. We were on our way to having a triple crossover, I think. Very nice. On Halloween, Pandora fit in, General Howe and his troops fit in because everybody was looking as wacky as you look on Halloween night if you're dressed up in a strange costume. When the troops came marching into town, we're all going, oh, this is awesome. Hey, great. Yeah. And then they pull out the guns and get down on their knee ready to blow them away. It's like, uh uh-oh, this may not be such a good thing after all. Exactly. And of course, Hal will not give Crane the satisfaction of killing him. He takes his own life as he steps into the fire to die once again. It was as if he was stepping into the fires of hell and that he had chosen where he wanted to be in the hereafter, which I thought, oh my goodness gracious. But if he was practicing black arts, I guess mm-hmm. he'd, you know, he'd made up his mind long ago. Yes, and that's where he wanted to be, I guess. How did Team Witness do, Barb? Well, with Jenny and Joe this week, we, of course, only saw them in part two of the crossover episode, so just in the sleepy hollow hour. And what was kind of cute here was Jenny, all dressed up as a Canadian Mountie at the bowling alley, and she is Canadian, so that was a cute little shout-out. I don't know who came up with that idea, whether she did or the writers did. I think she did. Did she? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was great, and I'm glad they let her do that, too. That was sort of fun. Joe's costume was a little lame. He looked like a patient who'd have blood all over him or something. And here he's just an EMT. So he's going to have to work on that for next year. Indeed. But anyway, Joe and Jenny were trying to find out more about the shard. And Jenny came up with a picture of Atticus Nevins. And Joe about had a meltdown because he said, wait a minute, I know this person. This was a friend of my father and that they were in the army together. They served together. And he pulls out a picture that his dad had of the two of them. And so off they go playing super spy, trying to track down Sophie, who, of course, was the person who conned them the week before. And then they had gotten the the shard back um, a couple episodes ago. And Joe up and offers to change the shard for an open discussion with Nevins. And Jenny, she ain't happy about that. (laughs) No, she wasn't. I don't blame her. No, Joe does not have the experience to make that type of move at all. It was sort of a Keystone Cops play. Yeah, just a little bit. And the fascinating thing was Joe seemed to tie his father to Atticus in a bad way. Yes. And Jenny was going, now hold on, until we have proof, I'm going to keep thinking that your father was the good man that I knew. And I'm not 100% sure Joe was buying it. No, he is really not being very trusting. And I don't know why that is, because I thought he and his father had a very good relationship. But perhaps with everything that he's finding out, some of his core thoughts are just being completely shaken. He should have a little bit more faith about that. And I think that as we discuss, you know, potential theories about what might happen a little later on, we could probably get into some of that in a little bit more detail. I think so. But I, I, that's going to be a key point moving forward in the season, I believe. And this gives me a lot of hesitation as far as Joe's character. Ah, yes, it could. (laughs) If he's not as strong as the rest of the team. Yes. Yes, that weak link. Yes. Can be broken. So, Steve, this week... We got a lot of Ichabod. Oh, God, did we ever. It seemed to be an episode that was almost centric with him. I mean, I know we had a lot of Booth and Bones and Abby, but he really had a lot of screen time. Yes, he did. And of course, as they enter the Jeffersonian, he gets insulted at the cosplay comment. (laughs) 
That was great. Yes. And we didn't see any swooning from the squints, which was nice to see. No, they were much more science-oriented, professional, and they're not like everyone in Sleepy Hollow who thinks that Ichabod is just the cat's meow. Yes. (laughs) And that was really nice to see a change in that for once. (laughs) Yes. You have people of science that don't just melt whenever Ichabod walks in and says something. Now, great scene with him and Brennan and Angela when Brennan suggests he and Abby are sexual partners. He was indignant. We are not. (laughs) (laughs) And then Bone says that perhaps they should give it a try. And Crane was at a loss of words, probably for the first time ever. He could not think of a comeback. Oh, his mouth opened and his (laughs) eyes opened and he looked at her and they don't even know each other. No. They've just met. And here she's telling him what she thinks that he should be doing, that he should be shacking up with his partner. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was just pure gold there. That was a great scene. That was just fantastic. And then later on, we get a fist bump that didn't put his fist out to do the fist bump. You know, he just had it up tight and he still gets the fist bump. (laughs) I know he does. It's one thing when he's doing things with people that he knows and he's comfortable with. You take him outside of his element and he just seems to freeze, which makes me wonder how on earth did he manage to navigate himself over to England on a plane and back again when he visited his ancestral home. He must have had a terrible time. (laughs) Well, with stewardesses, yeah, all he probably had to do was turn on the crane charm and they basically let him do what he wanted to do but still that's true he only got in trouble with the law with uh, immigration when uh, they wouldn't let him bring back his little tablet yeah he goes off and finds washington's letter that was scribed by himself well he was probably delighted to find it there i mean he knew he had written something so he mm -hmm. knew it was there he was probably deliberately looking for it and that's why he found it so quickly yes And he just came in, yeah, like, I've got this, I'm going to get my stuff back, you know, get these bones, and Brennan has the letter checked for authenticity, and sure enough, it's Ichabod's handwriting, and she calls him on the carpet, and he comes up with, oh, yes, my ancestor, Ichabod Crane, and, oh, I don't know if it's a scientific fact that Handwriting is hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he threw bones for a loop on that one. Yes. I thought certainly she would come back and say, absolutely not, based on her expertise in anthropology. Mm -hmm. Because there's no way handwriting is an inherited (laughs) trait. Yes, my father has a certain way he writes. And yes, mine does look very similar to his. But I don't think you could go through a forensic examination and and not be able to tell the difference. In 250 years, our style of writing has changed dramatically. (laughs) Yes. They're getting ready to stop teaching cursive, or perhaps they even have in schools. Things have changed. Anyway. Of course, we do get the Sherlock reference that if you eliminate all possibilities, then whatever's left must be the truth. Very (laughs) empirical science-y. Yes. And of course, later on... We do get a very interesting discussion between Crane and Bones about their perspectives on the hereafter. Bones doesn't believe, and of course, Crane has come back from the hereafter, so... She'd probably have him committed if he told her that story. Oh, absolutely she would. She is all science all the time. And she disproves everything else that is quote-unquote, not science. Science, yes. You know, and it's interesting because they're both highly intelligent individuals. They both have their particular ways of doing things, and I think that that's one of the parallels that the writers were trying to draw for us this week, is that Booth and Abby have so much in common, and Bones and Crane have so much in common, and yet they really weren't getting along with each other. No. (laughs) At all. That's what Bones said that she found Crane annoying. Yes. What was it Booth had, uh, I think, said to Bones, 
let it go. Yeah, go find another body. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that gives credence to the old adage that opposites attract. I think they were trying to tell us that during this episode as well. Yeah, because Crane's argument was, do you put numbers on art and love? And and she was basically, yeah. And he was trying to say, yes, the way you look at Booth, it's more than just procreation. Of course, she has to <laughs> pipe up that, oh, well, the procreation is good part of it. <laughs> that, that was just so funny. I thought, well, I guess she would say that. And Ichabod is appalled by that statement. <laughs> But with all the comments that uh, Bones was making, I'm sure that, again, all the Abby and Ichabod shippers were just delighted to hear all that. Oh, yes, absolutely. That having Brennan ship Ichabod and Abby was, yeah, it blew up on Twitter big time. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> and it was a great shout out to the fans. And you can't say that the writers aren't noticing the fans this season because this makes the last two episodes. We've had really nice shout outs. So Yes, I'm sure that the fans have hope because, of course, Bones and Booth had a professional relationship for a very long time, long time. before they ever, ever got together. Of course, that show is in what? It's 11th season now or yes. something like that? Oh, my goodness. I would take 11 seasons of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, I would, too. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Now we get to the... Sleepy Hollow portion of the two hours. And I just loved how the whole gang dresses up for their outing at the bowling alley. And the Scooby gang automatically starts picking on Crane about his outfit. Yes. And he goes, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I, I looked at him and I thought, um, if you put on a white powdered wig, are you George Washington? <laughs> I mean, who are you? Of course, he sees Zoe a few lanes down, and after some prodding from Abby, he strolls down and says hi, and she immediately knows that he is dressed as John Adams, but he's not quite so sure who she's dressed as. Yeah, and Betsy Ross, I don't think, wore mini skirts. No. <laughs> Even or on it. Yeah. Yeah, or even our current version of Betsy Ross that Crane has his flashbacks to during the episodes. No, but that was funny. Yes, that was. He was struggling. Great. I thought she's Betsy Ross. Come on, Crane, get with it. <laughs> You can figure it out. Now, how she came up with the idea to dress as Betsy Ross adds a little more doubt into that character. Yeah. Or at least it does for me. I'm thinking she knew he was going to be there. I mean, apparently that's what you do in Sleepy Hollow is you go bowling before Halloween. Okay, in costume. But yeah, I'm guessing that she knew he was going to be there and she dressed in a way that she thought would get her noticed by him. But very subtly. We're going to have to keep an eye on Zoe. I believe we are. Yeah. And just like I said, how she knew to do Betsy Ross is just a little questionable as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Now, we do get a really nice talk between Crane and Abby in the mausoleum before they run into the undead army where Crane doesn't believe he's quite ready to move on. On, I believe. You know, he tells her that they were husband and wife, that he taught her strength, resilience, and how to iron a vest. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he does admit that, yes, this chapter of his life is now closed. So has he let go completely? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not so sure that he has. And this starts to bring in the the timeline. What was what is really the timeline? Because of course we've seen him with Betsy Ross. Right. And so if he quote unquote died, let's say somewhere in seventeen seventy six or or shortly thereafter and they were married at that point in time, then that means they were probably married somewhere around seventeen seventy. Mm-hmm. And we know that from our history lesson, our prior history lesson, that Paul Revere was practicing dentistry sometime after 1765 and the Stamp Act. So while it's possible that Crane knew Betsy before he 
Jackie met Katrina, what we'll learn in our little history lesson from tonight, and the fire in New York from which Betsy was fleeing, that happened in 1776 also. Uh Now, there wasn't the same type of contact. It was like, hurry up, we got to get out of here type of encounter. But the timeline seems a little choppy. Now, of course, they do get lucky in their encounter with the um, undead army because their bullets are Absolutely useless, but boy, what a pose Crane struck as he was shooting. You know, one arm behind his back, classic Crane. He was trying. And fortunately, Don was rising as the army exit the mausoleum and immediately they go underground, saving our witnesses from a certain death. That's a good thing. The show needs to continue. Yes. Now we do find out that Washington had sent Crane to kill Howell. Unfortunately, there was some hesitation and I believe that was because of the fact that he did serve under him and had respected him. He was trying to give Howell a way out without having to kill him. But when he didn't, he sure ends up regretting it You know, by stating that the war might have ended earlier and, of course, might have stopped the drag war before they were created, saved Manhattan. So another one of those incidents that Crane has come to regret. Yes, and I think that's really... The second time that we've seen such deep regret with him. And I think the other time was with his wife and his son. son. And that's good because we all know that there are things in our life that we've done that we've regretted. And to see that brings a more human dynamic to Crane. But the other thing that's happening is the fact that he is continuing to open up and to share with Abby. And I think that that just shows, again, the trust and the deepness of that friendship. Absolutely. And it was nice to see Washington's Bible make a return to Sleepy Hollow. We haven't used it in a long time. And inside was the key to defeating the Dragor. And of course, they have to enlist Brennan and Booth again in locating the tomb. Yes. And Booth's line, oh, back so soon. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we thought we got rid of you two. <laughs> Whoops, no such luck. That sort of leads into Abby. And we, you know, while we did have good time with Abby, again, I think that this episode was a lot more Ichabod-centric. But Abby really showed that she could hold her own because when she was, you know, in the first episode searching the medical student's apartment with Booth, and he asks her, why did you postpone becoming an FBI agent? And she shoots right back at him, well, you've just rejoined the FBI. And so she never answered his question. And they both let it drop. She's very quick with her responses, quick on her feet. I think the other thing that was really interesting that I would have liked to have seen more of was Abby learned that Booth and August Corbin knew each other, and that he had actually spoken, that Corbin spoke of Abby to Booth. And they had a piece of that in the first episode and a piece of that in the second episode. And the bottom line was that, you know, Booth told her that what basically what Corbin said is that you don't have to save the world in a day. And then when she said that she had learned from Corbin that most of the real work that you do is outside of the job, but it is different from the FBI. And Booth basically said that August Corbin knew the strengths that she had and that basically she just needs to believe in herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to become very important because one, here's someone who knew her mentor and her mentor had spoken to this person about her and spoken highly of her and basically indicated to this person that, hey, you're on the right track. And that's what Booth then gave his feedback back to Abby. And I think that at the times that she may have had some doubts about herself, because she has during the course of the first two seasons, periodically, hey, what are we doing? Why are we witnesses? Even when she came back this season, you know, she thought she was sort of done with it. And I think... exactly. Yeah, and I think this is going to be important, an important reinforcement, and and I think it's coming at a critical time. I believe you're right there. I do think this throwback to Corbin and him having so much faith in her is going to be something she's going to have to recall and use to be a strength in a very, in an episode very soon, I think. Yeah, especially uh, with her uh, sister and Joe getting into a little trouble, getting her in trouble a little bit with her boss, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But on the fun side, too, when we, we've talked about the costumes in the bowling alley, and Abby was Beyonce, and I thought she rocked that costume. Yes, she did. <laughs> uh-huh. And then one of the other funny things was when Crane and Bones got locked into the tomb, and Abby's looking at this, and you could see the little symbols um, on the door, and it's the alchemy thing, and she's saying, well, wait a minute, I know how we can go through and solve this. I've seen this before, and Booth just kind of pulls out his gun and just blasts it away, and she says, well, yeah, that's one way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Different styles of problem solving. Yes, it was. (laughs) So that was very, very amusing. And I think that the other thing that was very interesting is that at the end of the episode, Abby and Danny were all business. And it makes me wonder what really did happen between the two of them at Quantico. Was it a romantic relationship or did she see something that he did that he shouldn't have done? And because they were friends, it just sort of got brushed over, but she's still uncomfortable with it. And I don't know. But one thing that was clear is when he discovered that it was Jenny and Joe, the EMT friend, and that they were stepping in the middle of his big case. And this is the thing that's going, you know, he's upwardly mobile. This may be the thing that propels him to the Pentagon and gets him a big raise and a promotion. Great for his career. He was not happy. And he jumped on her. Yes. Quite a bit. But prior to that, he basically offers her a promotion. In a way, yes, to take over, to help. Tactical. Yes. And so I'm going to be very curious to see how this plays out as well, because we seem to be getting to a point where both the witnesses have a chance to get a little distracted and maybe lose a little bit of focus. So that's going to be very interesting to see how they handle these situations that are presenting themselves on a personal and professional level that isn't directly related to being a witness. Yes, I think the writers are setting this up very nicely. And we're going to not only see some great action, but see some great relationship either building or even destroying between some of our characters. All right. Did we have any other notes on the crossover? I think there were a couple of cute little things. When the Bones episode opened, the character Jack Hodgkins had gold demon eyes, the sparkly demon eyes. He said that his other contacts had been tossed out or lost or whatever. And he was wearing these and everyone was like, oh, gross. And I thought those are Pandora's eyes. So I thought that was a cute little shout out. You know, you can buy those colored contacts just about anywhere. When I was at, when I was at Dragon Con and visited a couple of the different booths to see what was being sold, etc. There they were. And I thought, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you could get all colors of eyes. It was, or contacts. It was quite interesting. And we also saw a tree growing through the windows at the top of the uh, church. A shout out to uh, Treville, maybe. Yeah, I wondered about that. Now you've talked a little bit about Crane's coat. They poked fun at every single coat he wore in both episodes. Yes. So maybe we're going to see him get some new clothes for Christmas. That's very possible. Yes. And of course, the comparison of the relationship, Brennan and Booth, who, you know, began as work associates and ended up marrying. Does it give the Ikebibi shippers any hope? They were salivating. They were wanting, but I don't know if they got too much more to give them any hope. No, quite a surprise to see how Abby was really pushing Crane towards Zoe throughout the episodes. And I thought, that seems a little odd to me, but I'm not sure. It just seems strange. Anyway, there was also the the continual parallels that we heard between the hereafter and a lack of belief in the hereafter, certainly from Bones, from the dead girl's boyfriend. You know, he thought, you know, he was, he was what, he was a Roman Catholic, and then when he they did their little experiment and he thought he had crossed over and then he saw nothing after that little, again, medically induced experiment. But we know what Abby and Crane have seen. We know what they've crossed over and seen. And so I think those parallel lines were drawn continually throughout the episode. And the fire, the Greek fire, napalm, fiend fire from Harry Potter. Seen it played out in many different situations but those were cool weapons that Betsy Ross had. Weren't no they? doubt about that. Yeah, that oh, was... 
oh my goodness, they looked like something out of, I don't know, Falling Skies, you know, that's going to zap people away. Oh, those were great. Yes, definitely looked uh, more futuristic than uh, 1700s, that's for sure. Yep. And that fire was used also in uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies as well, because it was supposedly developed about 670 AD by a Syrian engineer named Callinicus, I believe. And it was for use by the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantium Empire, and they used it to burn ships on the water of their enemies. And allegedly, the secret ingredients were passed from one emperor to the next, and that no one ever knew what all the secret ingredients really were. And a very nice tie to Assyrian. Yeah, so again, we're hearing about the artifacts, we're hearing about things from the Middle East, East. and... Pandora. And so all of this, I think, is really going to explode probably in the second half of the season. All right. Shall we talk some theories and prophecies? Sure. Let's do it. Think we should talk about Joe and Jenny first? Absolutely. I think they're in over their heads. What do you think? I think Jenny could probably handle it, but with Joe's a liability. Yeah, they really acted like rookies on that stakeout when they were watching Sophie. They're sitting out there behind this bait shop, or in front of the bait shop, actually, sort of the side of it. Her car is sitting there. They're watching it. Out she comes, and they're approaching her at an angle. But guys, really? Come on. Yeah, it was so obvious that Sophie was able to see him coming in the reflection of her window. I know. And get the drop on him. And it's like, Jenny... She knows we better. Know you're smarter than that. She, yes, knows, she better. knows better. <laughs> it was a rookie mistake. So I was a, I was a little disappointed about that part of it because she is smart. Joe, I can see Joe messing it up, but not Jenny. And when we've talked a little bit about Joe and that he seems to be concerned about not really knowing who his dad actually was. But I think August Corbin is has always been working on the side of good. And I would venture to say that maybe his army buddy, Mr. Nevins, he turned to the dark side. You know, if they were hunting these artifacts, and we have seen the impact some of the artifacts have had on people in the different stories. Yes. He could have gone dark. I think you're probably very correct on that point. Yes, they could have been a team. I'm not really sure that I would buy that, but more than likely, Nevis did go to the dark side. August said, not so much. Well, what would be interesting would be to find out as part of his backstory what caused him to turn. If it was indeed an artifact or if he was impacted by a Moloch-type character, maybe this king of which Pandora spoke. So I think that there is a lot of room to play here when we finally get to meet this guy in the person, as we've seen his picture now. And I wonder, too, then, does that mean we're going to have some parallel daddy issues here? Because we know that Abby still wants to meet daddy. Jenny is apparently... She says she's beyond it. I'm not sure that she is. But here are we going to have some daddy issues for Joe as well so that all these folks can start comparing notes. More than likely. And, and I, and again, the writers, shout out to the writers. There are so many parallels through the story that it really ties our witnesses, our team, so nicely together. Anyone that they play with, for that matter, even Booth and Bones. And it was real curious how Nevis told Sophie... You don't have to go looking for them. They're they're going to come to us. So how do you think he knew that? The only thing I can come up with that semi makes sense is that, yes, there was a parting of August and Nevis, and he just knew that Joe knew who he was or knew that there was a connection, but didn't know what the connection was. So as soon as he found out Nevis was involved and Nevis knew his dad, he would want the information. Because Jenny had mentioned to Sophie, did you work? I think she mentioned it, right? Didn't she? Oh, did you work for Corbin mm-hmm. at that at that confrontation mm-hmm. at the so restaurant? She, yes. Sophie must be very read in. I mean, if she is the top operative of Nevin's, whatever it is he happens to be doing, then she's probably going to go back, report to him, tell him what was what went on, what was said, and he's going to put two and two together pretty quickly. Well, this may be premature, but I wonder if Atticus will try and turn one of them to the dark side with him. I think it's a strong possibility. I really do. And Joe is the weak link, so... He seems to be. You know, now that Abby has been put on the spot with Jenny and Joe's investigation, what do you think that she'll do about it? Well, I believe she'll, you know, basically 
try to put a stop to it. I believe Joe will not listen to her. And more than likely, Abby will have to um, save him. That would mess up the FBI investigation even more. Yes, it would. That would probably tick Danny off quite a bit. Do you think it would put her in trouble at work with him? And with her, her? Yes, absolutely mm-hmm. will. He could really go after her potentially. But again, we really need to see what their relationship was. Yeah, and I think that again, you know, we talked earlier about her talking to Booth and told her how much August believed in her and that she needed to trust her instincts. And I think that this is going to be the time when she's really going to have to reflect on that and, and take that to heart. And she's a smart woman. Yes, she is. Yeah. Now, who do we think the king is that Pandora referenced? That's a tough one. I'm not convinced that it's Atticus. Now, they both may work for him, and they may not know about each other. You know, maybe Atticus is collecting artifacts that this king would need to, you know, rule the earth or the underworld purgatory, whatever it is. If that is indeed the king, if it wasn't the English king, there could be a bigger bad. And I wonder, when do you think he would show up? Oh, probably around the end of uh, the half season. Think it could Fall be a cliffhanger. Yeah, cliffhanger. Now that would be really cool to see. That would be a nice link to get us over the winter break. A new bad guy. Because Pandora, she said she really only had one more to get, right? Yes. So that means she is just about at the end of her quest, whatever that is. She said a few interesting things, didn't she, Steve? Yes, she did. Especially at the end when she said, Victors bring love. Who do you think she was referring to? That's a good question. The only thing that could possibly be is her greater power, I guess. Well, I don't think that she would consider our witnesses as the victors because she's called them destroyers. Right. And she's she wanted them dead, right? She, she uh, just had Hal go after Crane. And tried to get Abby the week before. Uh-huh. So maybe it is her king. So is her king Satan, an archangel, some other monster that we haven't seen yet do you think she loved that person maybe fear yeah it wouldn't surprise me if this is actually somebody she does love last season we saw crane do everything he could to get katrina out of purgatory maybe this is her way of getting somebody she loves out of purgatory and the comments that she has made to abby the one she made in the hospital you're not like the others. So is this a battle that she continually is, has been fighting again and again throughout the ages? And so that would almost imply that she hasn't been successful in the past. So what is it that has defeated or vanquished her previously? Well, it didn't vanquish her because she keeps coming back. Right. But it was interesting, that last rose on the tree, it wasn't black. Yes. It was red, red rose, the color of eternal love. So it'll be nice because, you know, Pandora has been the big bad, but... We really haven't seen her have a lot of screen time. No. And with Malik, he never hesitated in killing somebody. No. Where she's not so much. So there's got to be something there. And of course, there's also got to be something up with Zoe. Yeah. What do you think about her? I still have mixed feelings. The way it's been set up, everything's been too coincidental. Mm-hmm. You know, her brother-in-law is in immigration. Oh, I dressed up as Betsy Ross. No. She's been flirting with him, but not in an overt way that would scare him off. Right. She's playing it very close to the vest, but outwardly, the things that she has done so far definitely make me notice that it's too coincidental for my liking. I mean... Yes, Caroline was completely different last season. This one I'm worried about. Yeah, because I don't think the writers would set her up as a love interest, not a real love interest for him, uh, because the fans hated that with Katrina. So they're not going to make that same mistake. So that means we've got two other choices. She's going to be evil or she's going to be a pawn. Right. And you're right. Coincidences, too many. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm with you, Zoe is has gone to the dark side. Right. She's there and we didn't know it. Yes. All right. Well, that'll be good. And we'll have a lot to 
to see how this plays out here over the next couple of weeks. So, Steve, let's have a little lighthearted levity. What kind of ickyisms did we get this week? Do I look as if I have just beamed from the planet Vulcan? <laughs> that was great. Star Trek. Oh, that was just so good. We are a partnership of opposites, yet our affinity for each other bears the ripest fruit. Oh, which yes. Immediately brought Brennan into, oh, so you're having sex too. I know. <laughs> that was another good one. And the first real hint that you see that there's some pretty good friction between uh, Brennan and Crane is. Some inevitabilities take longer than others <laughs> as they're talking about death. <laughs> and we did get the nice little scene at the end of the first episode where they're all in the bar having a good time. Of course, Booth and Bones have to leave. Crane takes drink from his drink, which just didn't look right to begin with. No. It looked like here's Crane that almost always is drinking whiskey or a beer and he's got this tall glass and you just a frou-frou drink yes it needed an umbrella and he goes oh this is strong and abby goes so you've never had a sex on the beach and he goes oh well franklin uh <laughs> makes a concoction very similar to this he called it fondled in the forest <laughs> And, of course, Abby goes, you're making this up. <laughs> Comes back, you'll never know. <laughs> Great scene. And one other nice little uh, put down of Brennan uh, was she'd dismiss Moloch as a tall man with a skin condition. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's all science. Yes. There's not room for anything else. Caller identification is a marvel. Yeah. And, of course... The first words out of his mouth in the second episode, he's bowling his second ball, knocks all of them down but one, uh, and comes back and goes, all oh, up in your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Joe points out, you didn't pick up the spare. No, yeah. <laughs> and you get, is it not obvious I'm John Adams? Apparently not. No. He comes back from talking with Zoe, and him and Abby get into it. She makes the comment about the miniskirt, you know, what Zoe is wearing. And Crane says this very quietly, when in Rome. You know, he must have been watching a lot of movies. You know, when in Rome here, uh, the Star mm -hmm. Trek, references. Trek references. I think he's, oh, that's right. Because, well, no, he was playing video games when he was eating all that junk food and drinking yes. soda pop. But I think he's but been watching movies, too. Definitely. Now, of course, he gets busted waiting in Abby's office, looking through the phone. Uh, Miss Corinth suggested I peruse her instant gram. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I've been tagged. Now, He's still learning. Did you see what was on the phone before he scrolled up to her picture? No, I missed that and I didn't freeze it this week. What was it? Crane on the brain. No, no. Yes. <laughs> I have to go back and look at that. Had some great lines from uh, Ichabod this week. Ah, uh, yes, we did. And double the fun with two episodes. Yes. And what did we learn in this week's history lesson, Barb? Well, they mentioned the Great Fire of New York. And I didn't know about this one either. So I am learning quite a bit of history while watching uh, the show. So the Great Fire of New York was a devastating fire that burned through the night of September 21st, 1776, on the west side of what then constituted New York City at the southern end of the island of Manhattan. It broke out in the early days of the military occupation of the city by British forces during the American Revolutionary War. So when Betsy Ross was fleeing with those folks, I guess that's what they were fleeing from. Anyway, early in the summer of 1776, when this war was still in its early stages, a British general embarked on a campaign to gain control of the city and its militarily important harbor. Want to guess the name of the general? Uh, could it have been William Howe? Oh, it certainly was. <laughs> Bingo. 
Anyway, American General George Washington recognized the inevitability of the capture of New York City, and he withdrew the bulk of his army. So several people, including General Nathaniel Green, who actually happens to be one of my ancestors, and New York's John Jay advocated burning the city down to deny its benefits to the British. Now, Washington took that question before the Second Continental Congress, and they said, "Uh uh-uh. Not a good idea. They said in no event should the city be damaged. So on September 15th, 1776, the British forces under Howe landed in Manhattan. And six days later, it burned. Now, many people believe or assume that that one or more people deliberately started the fire. And that fire destroyed between 10 and 25% of the city and some unburned parts of the city were plundered. And which was very interesting because, of course, what did we see? Crane, when he approached Hal in his, you know, from his memory from 250 years ago, Hal was plundering one of the houses. So anyway, the fire convinced the British to put the city under martial law rather than returning it to civilian authorities. So crime and poor sanitation were persistent problems during the British occupation, and that occupation did not end until the city was evacuated in November of 1783, which surprised me because I thought that once we had established our constitution in, what, 1781, that the British were gone And apparently, they were not. They were still there through November of 1783. Shocking. Absolutely. So that's your history lesson for today. All right. Well, we have some feedback. Awesome. Once again, we have a voicemail from Bestie Justina. That's great. And you know what? She sent a little note to us, and she forgot to give us her rating. But it was 10 out of 10 pumpkin heads. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hi, Barb and Steve. This is Justina for Witness Prophecies. That was awesome. That was completely awesome. I have been watching both shows, Bones and Sleepy Hollow, since episode one. And I thought that this crossover episode really worked and went together quite seamlessly. They were true to the formula of each show. Bones went with their regular case of the week formula. But the case of the week seamlessly tied in to the mythology that we're exploring in Sleepy Hollow. I thought having a crossover episode would mean that I would have to wait for development on the overall mythology. But that's totally not true. We got movement on the mythology as well. And the storylines kind of mirrored each other. Because it was the death of a med student who was interested in finding out what happens after you die being mirrored by Ichabod, who's helping solve the mystery as he is living his second life after he has already died once. It makes perfect sense that Pandora would collect more fear on Halloween. And we even got an update with Jenny and Joe, a little treat that I was not expecting. They didn't tell Brennan the truth about Crane, Which is fine, because she just would have argued and argued, and it would have taken the whole episode, and in the end, she probably still wouldn't have believed. So I'm glad they didn't waste time on that, because Brennan is all science and no magic. I love that they titled the Sleepy Hollow portion of the episode, Dead Men Tell No Tales, because this part of the episode really reminded me of Pirates of the Caribbean and the way they portray the zombie-type pirates in that movie. Have a great week! And did I mention, that was awesome! And you guys are awesome, too. Bye! All right. Thank you very much, Justina, for that feedback. Uh, We definitely agree with you that uh, they definitely stayed true to each show's uh, premise and their characters. And I like that she gave the shout out to Pirates of the Caribbean, so we weren't the only ones who thought that. Exactly. I agree with you. They definitely tried to tie in the girls experimenting with death and trying to contact her sister with Crane and his resurrection. So it all tied in very nicely. So, And again, as she indicated, we did get a little bit of development on the mythology during the story, especially with Atticus and what may be happening with the shard. So I thought that was very nice as well. 
So thank you, as always, Justine. It's always great to get your feedback. And from the Facebook page, Todd left uh, some comments. I actually enjoyed both eps, even though it felt like two self-contained eps with the characters from the other show's guest starring. It was well done. Would have been a bit better if part one ended on more of the cliffhanger instead of the opening of part two. Glad part one stayed with some of the realistic elements and steered clear of explaining Ichabod's character and more of the supernatural elements. Interesting that Booth knew August Corbin. I enjoyed them both. I will say, while both my wife and I watched both last night, she doesn't usually watch Sleepy Hollow, and she wasn't paying that much attention to part two. Well, well, work on her, Todd. Work on her. Yep. She'll grow to love it. We also received some feedback on the Facebook page also from Giovanna. And she wrote, I enjoyed the Bones episode better. It was a perfect mix of both shows. Crane fit in nicely at the Smithsonian. Abby worked well with Booth. Sleepy Hollow episode felt like the usual episode where Booth and Brennan just made a cameo. I wanted an excuse for Booth to meet Joe Corbin or be part of the Atticus investigation. And yeah, and I agree. I thought that would have been a nice thing to happen. Maybe in the future. Sure could. But thank everyone for their feedback. Yes, thank you so much. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the season. So please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. We have a couple of shout outs this week. A special one goes to the Sleepy Hollow fan site, admins Jamie and Cindy for all their support and allowing us to post that our podcasts are available. And we really do appreciate that. We get every week, we seem to be gaining more and more likes when we post. It first started, the first week was like 10, then 20, and now 30. So we really do appreciate your support. And as far as Twitter shout outs this week, they'll go to Cindy, Lawrence, Pamela, Joyce, and Debbie. And there's so many different ways to get in touch with us, too. You can give us a call uh, on our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278. You can also go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to record audio. Or you can type out your feedback on the form. Or you can also do what Justina does, and she just sends us an email with her audio feedback in it each week. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also find us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook, Witness Prof GSM on Twitter, Salyer Steve on Twitter, and I'm at Tangier14 on Twitter. So we'd love to hear from you, love to hear what you think, and want to uh, make sure that if you're sending us feedback that we get it on the air. Absolutely want to interact more with the fans. Yep, because we all love this show. It's a great show, and it's a lot of fun. And certainly this crossover episode was a lot of fun, and we'd like to get your thoughts, your ideas. Give us your theories about where you think things are going. Give you a chance to be right in the future when my theories are wrong. (laughs) All right, time for Vision of the Future. That means spoilers. That means if you don't want to hear any, run. As if General Howe and his army are about to unload their muskets on you. Run. All right. Our first news. Fox's Sleepy Hollow continues to up its cast. The drama has promoted Jessica Camacho from reoccurring guest to series regular. The Hollywood Reporter has learned. The actress made her series debut earlier this month as Sophie Foster. The character is a mysterious, sexy, and highly intelligent rogue player in the world of high-end artifacts trading who plans on challenging Jenny and Joe in their quest for the Shard of Anubis, a mystical artifact, and this season's Holy Grail. And you know, they still have not said her name yet. They didn't say it in the episode this week. No. Jenny had told Abby that she had found out that the name she was going by was uh-huh. Sophie, and yes. that was it. But no one has actually said her name yet on the show. No. <laughs> which is very interesting. Okay, and then the next episode, number six, 
will be on November the 5th, and it's entitled The Red Lady from Caribbean. When Pandora unleashes an iconic monster to haunt the residents of Sleepy Hollow as they sleep, Abby and Jenny are tempted to confront a painful part of their past. Meanwhile, Abby makes a crucial decision for her career, and Crane does his best to guide her with wisdom from his own experiences. Will Ichabod lead Abby to the right decision. Sounds like a couple things are going to happen, doesn't it? Yes, Sound, it does. <laughs> sounds like Abby's going to be in big trouble with Danny, and uh, mm-hmm. Joe and Jenny are going to step in it again. Yes. And it sounds like we may have a daddy issue. Maybe, finally. Yep. And we're going to get some kind of uh, monster that invades people's sleep. Yes. And remember, this is supposed to be the last big whatever it is that Pandora needs. So this could be quite dramatic. Yes. Okay, episode seven on November 12th, The Art of War, when Reynolds heads to D.C. to discuss developments in the Nevins case, Abby is left in command. Jenny and Joe deal with unexpected consequences as a result of stealing the shard, which leaves both the lives of the heroes and Abby's career in great peril. Meanwhile, a new, more dangerous evil force is revealed. Maybe that will be the king. Yes, I believe it will. Wow. Or could it be Atticus? That is a possibility. Well, we may have to place bets. All right, the eighth episode, which will be on November the 19th, is Novus Ordo Seclorum. That's Latin for New Order of the Ages. And it actually appears on the reverse side of the Great Seal of the United States, which was first designed in 1782. And if you look on the back of your $1 bill, you'll see it there. In the aftermath of Jenny and Joe's run-in with Sophie, Abby is in deep water with Reynolds. Meanwhile, the witnesses deal with lasting implications of the shard and find themselves in grave danger as they come face to face with a greater evil than they could have ever imagined. <laughs> oh, and look at this. Guest cast. Peter Mensa as the Hidden One. Mm-hmm. Bill Irwin as Atticus Nevins. I guess that means the Hidden One. Maybe the King. Yes. Wow. Uh, Leave that maybe. Wow. Nice. All right. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Let your friends know and hope you're enjoying our podcast now that The shopping season is officially on us. If you're going to do some online shopping at Amazon, don't forget to swing by goldenspiralmedia.com and use our links to get there. It doesn't cost you any extra, but it kicks us a couple of pennies to help support our servers. Great week. Two great episodes. Yes, it really was. And I'm really glad that they were able to pull it off. The numbers were so good. Hopefully that will be a big bounce that we will be able to give us some momentum to carry us through the rest of the season. I hope so, because I definitely felt that that was a Halloween treat. Yes. And this is Steve. And this is Barb signing out and hoping that all of you stayed out of cemeteries and mausoleums during Halloween. See you next week.